Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is uh, Gigabit Nation Broadband Talk Radio. I'm your host, Craig Settles, and I want to welcome everyone in the audience today. Um, thank you for taking time to be with us and to uh, follow our show as we help public, private, and nonprofit organizations tackle important broadband issues uh, involved with getting broadband everywhere it needs to be. Uh, today, we're going back to school. We're going back to college, to be precise. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with Gig.U, which is uh, the, the initiative uh, that's been led by uh, Blair Levin uh, to bring universities into partnerships with their surrounding communities to create gigabit test beds, uh, basically working labs, if you will, to explore creative application development that will take advantage of high-speed networks. Uh, Air.U, which is new on the scene uh, as of about a week, I believe, uh, alters the script a little bit by focusing on wireless technology or super Wi-Fi uh, to be specific, and that is using the um, those TV channels that are kind of sitting out there uh, but that offer a, a platform, if you will, to make uh, a special type of Wi-Fi available for uh, users to uh, access the Internet and, and execute uh, various Internet-related applications. Um, our guests today are Robert Nichols, who is the CEO of Declaration Networks Group, and Michael Calabrese, who is the director of the New America Foundation's Wireless Future Program. Uh, both of you gentlemen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Craig. Yeah, thanks, Craig. And uh we will uh we'll move this thing forward. Uh you guys can, you know, chip chip it chime in uh, for any of the questions obviously. Uh and I'm very happy to have both of you here to really give us uh, some some detail about what's going on with the air.u program and how people can uh participate and take advantage of what you guys are doing. So let's start with um a little bit about uh you know what is what is air.u? Okay. Um, we'll start with Bob. We'll guess, make this easy. <laughs> pardon? <laughs> I think we'll start with Bob. Uh, we'll just yeah. kind of alternate back and forth. Okay. Um, what? Yeah, what, I think it probably actually this particular question might be better answered by uh, Michael. He can kind of give a good intro uh, to how, how Area.U came to pass. Yeah, let me give a bit a bit of background. This is Michael, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, and then let Bob talk more, you know, more about, you know, operationally, you know, what we'll be doing. But in in terms of the background, um, Air.U, and and the Air, by the way, um, uh, although it's nicely parallel to Gig.U, the Air stands for Advanced Internet Regions. Mm -hmm. And that's what we would like to to turn uh, rural university and college campuses, uh, which generally are situated in, you know, small town and and rural areas that that are far from advanced, in fact, they're typically disadvantaged, turn them into advanced Internet regions. So um, uh, Air.U is a consortium of higher education associations, high-tech companies, and public interest groups uh, launching this uh, partnership to deploy super Wi-Fi networks. And the idea is to upgrade the broadband connectivity available to underserved campuses and their surrounding communities uh, with an initial focus on uh, rural areas. By using unlicensed access to vacant television channels, uh, which are typically known as TV band white spaces, university communities will be able to significantly expand the coverage and capacity of high-speed wireless connectivity both on and off campus. So the groups that came together um, include, uh, you know, on, on, on the education side, the United Negro College Fund, the New England Board of Higher Education, which represents, you know, colleges and universities in New England, the Corporation for Educational Network Initiatives in California, better known as CNIC, uh, uh, and uh, the Appalachian Regional Commission, and GIGU itself, GIGU being a consortium of 37 major universities committed to accelerating um, world-leading broadband connectivity 
uh, in their communities, and, and, and their their focus is fiber, air use focus is wireless. And the way this – oh, and by the way, I should say that these higher ed orgs uh, collectively represent over 500 colleges and universities. And the way it, the way it started was actually during um, gig use uh, request for information concerning their own fiber ambitions. Uh, there were a number of um, – of submissions, including by uh, Bob's group, um, Declaration Networks, and by the New America Foundation, our Open Technology Institute, which proposed that, you know, whereas the long-term goal may be fiber everywhere, uh, in the short term, the fact that the Federal Communications Commission had recently opened the vacant TV channels, and the fact that there's so many more of these vacant TV channels available for unlicensed use in rural and small-town areas meant that it would be faster and cheaper in the short term to at, to at least enhance the uh, to the wireless broadband connectivity, uh, you know, using these campuses as a, as a starting point because they typically have backhaul rooftops and other resources that along with this public access spectrum, you know, we could leverage not only to enhance the campus networks, but to extend coverage uh, to surrounding communities, uh, which in rural areas particularly is is lacking right now. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of the uh, the genesis, and all the partners came together. Oh, and on the high-tech side, we have uh, Google and Microsoft uh, putting in, uh, you know, some seed money for this initial planning phase. Mm-hmm. So it has been a fairly what the short um, time basically from idea to realization of this whole organization, right? Because I remember Geek.U was 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 putting out the RFI at the beginning of this year, right? Yeah, actually the RFI. Uh, yeah, the RFI closed out, I believe, uh, the beginning of December last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you're right. It actually has come together uh, quite quickly, and I think that's, um, you know, uh, a credit to a number of different things. Not not the least of which is I think Blair's done a great job in pulling together um, uh, the Gig Gig U organization um, as the example. Um, but uh, the 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 need is so great, even beyond the Gig U um, universities for uh bandwidth to be delivered um in some of these underserved communities that they organized fairly quickly they latched on um pretty rapidly to the concept um and and uh were very supportive uh in moving this initiative forward pretty rapidly and certainly you know uh michael's been involved in white spaces for a number of years i have as well uh i've come i came out of the uh the private sector um and uh google and microsoft also very big um proponents of unlicensed usage and particularly the white space um activity so so yeah it's come together pretty quickly and we hope to move uh just as rapidly towards um the initial pilots Mm-hmm. So, can you go through a sort of a play-by-play scenario of how this will actually work? You have—I know you have six pilots identified, but you have, um, you know, uh, college in a, in a rural setting, underserved area. You have the surrounding community. You will have some X number of you know stakeholders, people interested in the outcome. How does this all get woven together into an actual? project or series of projects. Um Michael, if you don't mind, maybe I could take a crack at that. Um Yeah, please. Yes. Yeah, so the in actuality the selection of the pilot communities has not taken place yet. Uh, as a matter of fact, what we're launching into over the coming weeks is um an activity where we're collecting expressions of interest uh from those uh higher ed uh communities and uh detailing um for them uh some of the things that we think uh white spaces can uh provide to their communities uh including extending uh campus wide wi fi potentially um surrounding community wi fi as well as um residential uh broadband 
um, and even delivering broadband to some of the affiliated um, campus um, housing uh, and some of the surrounding enterprises uh, within the communities. So um, over the coming weeks, uh, we'll be out speaking directly with uh, universities and colleges about the program, uh, soliciting expressions of interest, uh, and along with that, uh, we'll be collecting information uh, about about each community and um, their current bandwidth capabilities, what some of their planned activities are. Um, uh, that will all weigh into um, the selection process. Uh, we hope to have that selection process completed uh, sometime towards the end of September. Um, and as we uh, look towards uh, deploying the pilots in the first quarter, uh, we're going to fill the balance of that time uh, going directly into those pilot communities and doing uh, planning um, activities associated with uh, network deployment. Now, when you say the process will be finished by September, meaning you will have finished developing the criteria for selection or you will have finished selecting the initial pilot projects? You know, I think what we'll have done is uh, completed the criteria and gathered all the expressions of interest. Um, and then, you know, the selection criteria sh should take some some time um, beyond September. Mm -hmm. So, um, so far, what kinds of uh, factors are important or do you expect to be important in the final analysis of your, or not the final analysis, but in the final structure of your criteria uh, what, what, are you, what are you looking for? What do you expect to be looking for? Well, I can give you know, a few and, and yeah, let, yeah. Go ahead. That'd be great. Yeah, I can give a few and then let Bob fill in. Mm -hmm. um, uh, again, Bob is more is going to be more on the operational side, but I can <laughs> I can tick off a few of the easy ones. Sure. Um, w w w you know, one one uh, sort of set of of criteria. Um, you know, which will be important is is the resources available um, on the, you know, on on the university side. So, so, so one one is you know the uh, the number of available white space channels. So as I was, um, I think I said a little bit um, before, the you know white space spectrum consists of vacant TV channels that were either freed up as a result of the digital. TV transition, or which already existed because many rural markets have very few local uh, TV stations operating. Mm -hmm. And this is shared public spectrum. There is no cost, but users are required to operate at low power and use only authorized equipment that avoids interference with TV reception. The, um, the channels vary by market, but there's, but there's um, quite a few more in many small town and rural areas. So an example, one one gig U member is the University of Maine, mm -hmm. which has at least 26 channels available at the higher operating power, you know, that Wi-Fi can operate at, uh, which is 156 megahertz, which is nearly as much as Verizon and AT&T wireless are, you know, combined are using today. Mm -hmm. An another like Florida State University, for example, in Tallahassee has 14 channels, as does Virginia Tech. So those are examples of places where you could, you know, add, you know, you have quite a bit of bandwidth to work with. Mm -hmm. uh, but then there's also backhaul, and that is the extent to which um, schools have uh, access to um, some high-capacity and low-cost wireline backhaul so that you can connect this and, you know, and accommodate a lot of additional traffic. And, and then, you know, sites, for example, uh, rooftops, uh, available uh, that you know where antennas can be put up and that are in locations that will serve you know the goals that uh, that the schools you know have for this for this enhanced network. Mm -hmm. So those would be um, you know three of the things right off the top that are very important. Mm -hmm. Okay. And um, now since your announcement last week, have you gotten a lot of um, early interest in in this program? Um, you, you know, actually, you, you go ahead. Go ahead, Michael. Yeah, I was, I was going to say, um, you, you know, I, I know I've certainly been contacted by quite a few, um, quite a few schools, 
and and also you know others uh such as um state state IT programs you know that are working you know on education such as in North Carolina also um we've also been contacted by uh wireless by ISPs such as um uh so-called Arlex rural mm-hmm. uh rural uh um uh you know IS wireline ISP providers as well as WISPs which are you know kind of typically fairly small businesses mm-hmm. that operate wireless ISPs in local areas and you know a lot of them say hey you know this is a great idea we'd love to be you know part of it if it makes sense um so i think we're going to have you know certainly on the school side a whole lot more uh interest than we can possibly accommodate initially mhm now on the wisp side i would assume that this is a pretty um good opening for them because i think a number of uh a number of WISP. Actually, I've either been reading uh, about or reading their comments in various online sites where they're a little unhappy with the. Uh, it seems to be I don't know that they're ignored a lot by the the agencies. Uh, you know, they felt left out of the the, the broadband stimulus program, and with the uh, USF reform, they're they're feeling left out of that process as well. It sounds like your program could be a good opening. For um, with who already have, especially with who have a presence in a community uh, that could then team up with you guys and then team up with the university and create, uh, you know, sort of this, uh, you know, greater presence uh, together than they were able to do on their own. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's I think that's absolutely right. Um, and additionally, the, you know, the technology itself is an upgrade from. Um, the technology that a lot of these WISPs are currently utilizing, either through the uh, 900 megahertz or the, the 2.5 uh, megahertz that they're 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 supporting their services on. So the coverage, um, the building penetration, uh, the ability to maneuver around um, you know high terrain and through foliage um, is is far superior in these um, uh, frequencies. So uh, from a technology perspective, there's an upgrade, and from a cost perspective as well, since there's um, these are unlicensed frequencies and these uh, will not need to be paid for. So uh, it, it creates an opportunity for a WISP to provide uh, very good uh, technology, excellent service um, at, at the lowest price. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I would add that the you know the WISPs will be the early adopters of TV white space technology. What mm-hmm. we are hearing from the equipment makers is that there, you know, there are are already back orders uh, for the um, for the TV white space uh, base stations. In mm-hmm. other words, for uh, essentially super Wi-Fi equipment that will operate on the TV band, uh, because it's a great way to reach. Um, remote customers uh in particular or very lightly populated areas at lower cost uh or to use as, as essentially as wireless uh uh ethernet to bring more bandwidth into an area even if it even when it's redistributed you know close up as wifi mm-hmm. so so the wisp are are already very focused then on this and they were their association wispa were big uh, supporters during the uh, the whole process at the Federal Communications Commission in terms of getting this getting you know getting this adopted and getting uh, better rules. In fact, they just won some more liberal ru- uh, a change in the rules that will allow for um, higher antenna heights uh, so that they can you know uh, in, in in areas with rough terrain they can have better coverage. Mm-hmm. How um, how much of a change is this uh, white space technology in layperson's terms? I mean, I think you know people people who are WISP, obviously people who are in the industry, understand why it has value. But for the person on the street, what exactly is this, or what does it mean to them? 
Um, <clears throat> so it, it, can, it can mean a couple of things. I think um, for the the college campuses that, that we're talking about in some of these rural communities, uh, they're having um, – they're challenged in attracting some of their students from more urban areas where they have – um, more access to, to uh, more serv ban uh, high bandwidth services, um, and so for those communities, um, you know, extending Wi-Fi campus-wide and uh, allowing that urban student to come onto the campus and enjoy the same technologies that he uh, or she received uh, from from their uh, urban home out in in the rural areas. Uh, it is kind of the biggest um, uh, upgrade uh, from from a air.u perspective uh, in this particular uh, activity. Um, but even beyond that, uh, there are commu communities outside of these universities that, um, let's say, they have enterprises or a health healthcare facility that's associated with the college, and they're on DSL or dial-up. Um, and uh, what this means is that they can take full advantage of everything that the Internet provides to them um, by simply putting in a, a couple of towers and some base stations, um, and, you know, proliferate, uh, you know, uh, high bandwidth, wireless high bandwidth uh, applications uh, to those enterprises where today perhaps maybe they couldn't get them at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I could add to that a little bit by just, kind of stepping back and, and noting that, of course, there's already unlicensed access to the frequencies that Wi-Fi uses today. Right. Um, and what's different about what we are, uh, or actually, I should actually attribute this to the chairman of the Federal Communication Commission, Julius Janikowski, uh, initially mm -hmm. called Super Wi-Fi, right, the, um, the unlicensed access to the vacant TV channels in each local media market. Um, these super Wi-Fi networks transmit on much lower frequencies than today's Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. and, and that allows the broadband signals to penetrate further into buildings mm -hmm. and to cover much larger areas with a single transmitter. So, for example, Intel did a study um, showing that the, the CapEx, right, the, the, the capital expenditure needed to cover a given... Uh, geographic area was at least you know three to four times less at using these frequencies than using the higher Wi-Fi frequencies, and the quality is better because the you know the longer wavelengths get into uh, the valleys and around hills, and it's just it's just better and and travels further. So colleges in rural areas will be the greatest beneficiaries of access to these um, to these TV frequencies for public networks because they are located in communities that often lack sufficient broadband. Their needs are greater than the surrounding communities, so that creates even more of a disparity between what they need and what's typically mm -hmm. available in a rural or a small town. And there's typically a large, you know, a much larger number of vacant TV channels outside the big urban markets. So it's a real win-win for them. So you basically you have a lot of this availability of the unlicensed spectrum, and you have obviously the the need for it, which uh, the idea being that that need will drive revenue because then there will be people paying for the service and so forth. Um, now, so in my I'll start with, I guess from my humble perspective of uh, Wi-Fi, um, you know I buy a device now it has Wi-Fi capability. I mean I just turn it on and if, if there is a um, Wi-Fi network nearby, I can at least see it, even if I can't get to it. And obviously, if I'm in an Internet cafe and so forth, I can log on to Wi-Fi. Uh, there are a number of free uh, hot zones, as they're called, that are areas within certain towns and cities that are uh, – they've got the wireless equipment in place to be able to access Wi-Fi if you happen to be in those areas. What is different between that scenario and an area that has super Wi-Fi? Will, will I need to buy a new card, a new laptop, or will the same laptop that I have be able to access the new networks? Michael, you uh, want me to... Yeah, yeah, you want to take, take that? Sure. Yeah. 
Yeah, <clears throat> so uh, the early equipment configurations um, will allow um, you to use your existing Wi-Fi chips. And the way they do that is there'll be a uh, broadcast signal from the tower to a base station um, that's either within your residence, on your dorm floor, um, or uh, in an enterprise that will then um, act as a Wi-Fi hotspot um, and blast Wi-Fi uh, in that area. So you can ta take your existing um, laptop with the Wi-Fi chip in it and connect onto the network. Um, what will uh, eventually come to the market, and I don't have a date for this yet, are white space uh, chipsets that will um, be put into your laptop or tablet or smartphone in the same way that Wi-Fi chips are today. Um, and it, when those come onto the market, uh, you will have devices that communicate directly uh, to the broadcast base station, white space base station, um, again, which has greater coverage uh, than the existing Wi-Fi uh, coverage. So um, the answer is yes today. Uh, the configurations will support Wi-Fi chips, um, and the benefit that uh, you as an end user will receive is there'll just be a lot more uh, Wi-Fi hotspots um, proliferating um, by the nature of taking advantage of a very uh, simple implementation um, using uh, white spaces as a backhaul mm -hmm. mechanism. And then when chipsets come onto the market, um, you will be able to then freely just roam around with your laptop and or tablet and or smartphone and talk directly to a tower just just the same way you do um, with a white uh, a Wi-Fi hotspot today. So right. in many in, in many respects, the value of the super Wi-Fi is um, its ability to in essence work as a uh, wireless backhaul system, so that you can still you're still accessing uh, your traditional Wi-Fi access points, but behind that access point now is more power to boost that signal over hill and dale and through the woods and all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's right. This is Michael. Um, initially, the, um, the the white space, um, I guess what you might call the, the white space base stations that are connected to backhaul, uh, to say to whether it's fiber or a T3 line or whatever, they will be transmitting over white space spectrum uh, you know, over this, you know, with these superior propagation characteristics of mm -hmm. going deeper into buildings, through trees, over long distances, covering big areas. But ultimately, um, the uh, the receive stations, the you know, the such as customer premises equipment, maybe it's a, um, uh, for example, and, and they're just little boxes, but it may be mounted on the windowsill of a health clinic or... Uh, <laughs> A frat house or a cafe, whatever it is, mm -hmm. but but these receive stations, the, these white space receivers will initially have white have Wi-Fi routers integrated, and will rebroadcast the white space uh, connectivity as as Wi-Fi because today, um, you know, folks don't have uh, their laptops and smartphones and and tablets don't have the ability to interface directly with a white space transmitter. Mm -hmm. So this will translate the signals into Wi-Fi so that it's useful to all the existing equipment that's already out there. But right. as Bob said, uh, within, we hope within you know one to two years, you'll begin seeing uh, probably first dongles, things that, you know, like you know, these little air interface cards uh, or sticks that you could plug in, like people use today if they subscribe to um, say a carrier's um, wireless broadband for fifty bucks a month or something, and want to use it on their on their laptop, um, they'll probably first be dongles that you'll put that you could uh, plug in through your Ethernet port to receive, um, you know, direct uh, TV white space signals, and then ultimately they'll uh, we expect they'll be integrated with Wi-Fi in the same chip, 
so that devices would just switch back and forth depending on what's available and what's uh, you know most plentiful in a certain mm-hmm. area. Do you have an idea of about what kind of speeds the end user will get in, the, in on these networks? Well, <clears throat> um, the uh, per channel um, speeds that uh, we have been hearing. Uh, by the equipment manufacturers uh, in their initial versions are 10 megabits uh, per second. Um, I've also heard, you know, the theoretical uh, speeds are uh, 23 megabits per second, so there's significant room for improvement of the uh, equipment configurations as they stand today. Mm -hmm. Um, And depending on how you architect your network, Uh, you can support, um, you know, uh, a wide range of services from, you know, narrowband services to, you know, residential broadband that would meet the uh, national broadband target. Mm-hmm. So to give so, you an example, okay. Craig, the, um, if you have so, – so, so as, as Bob was saying, the, the, the more you – may, you may call it the more modest uh, equipment makers are saying, well – you know, in practice, the effective throughput will be 10 megabits per second per channel. But the good news is that the devices, you know, right out of the gate, um, uh, some companies are, you know, are gearing up to make devices that will be um, multi-channel. So, for example, um, we think what we'll typically see is um, a uh, base station that will have that will transmit, you know, flexibly over six channels at a time. So mm-hmm. you have, so you can send 60 megabits per second of connectivity to um, uh, to a receive station, such as a client device, uh, or you could divide that up and send 10 megabits per second to six different client devices, you know, for rebroadcast as Wi-Fi. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, and that compares. Uh, favorably to having a, um, you know, certainly to having a, a you know, a, a, a high-speed, you know, for example, a high-speed cable uh, uh, connection at, you know, at several different places uh, serviced by the same white space base station. So, so we, we really we're starting at a fairly good place compared to you know other options and we should expect this to um uh to increase as the technology improves and there's some economy of scale as more of these devices get out there on the market actually being uh built into networks. Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's right. Okay. Yeah, we're we're still at the very early stages. I don't know if uh, I mean that that's probably obvious, but it's worth stating. I mean, this this is we're at the early stages, and um, uh, we even still today, after ten years in the marketplace, are seeing advances in in Wi-Fi technology, as an mm-hmm. example. So, um, yeah, we fully anticipate. You know, this is the baseline, and it's going to only increase uh, from here. Okay. Now, one question I got from uh, one of the. Um guests in the chat room listening to the uh, broadcast is um, will the GigU or the Air.U network be accessible by WISP at a reasonable rate? I don't know if you guys have started um, uh, you know, figuring out pricing and I realize there will be pilot projects which is not necessarily the same as the end product uh, but um, do you have some idea of how that pricing structure would work if a WISP wants to be uh, part of this program, mm-hmm. um, you know. So uh, the goal of the program itself is is not to get to the pilots, but to utilize this process of um, establishing the pilots to do a couple of things. And one of them is to um, refine and and uh, settle on. Um, one or more business models that we feel are going to be sustainable uh, to go forward with. Uh, another goal is to create a replicatable, a replicatable uh, deployment model so that uh, once the pilots um, are in place, we're able to then go to the next community 
uh, and broadly deploy um, uh, this across the nation in the um, communities that, uh, number one, want to take advantage of it, and two, that it makes sense relative to their alternatives. Um, so uh, the the answer is we, we don't know yet at this point um, what the structure will be um, relative uh to the end user or even uh, in, in, in your question to the WISP. Um, but what we're wanting to do is engage that community early, um, including the WISP community, and understand what some of their requirements are uh, in order for us to make certain uh, we're addressing uh, some of the distribution channels which we feel the WISP will represent. Mm -hmm. So this should be viewed as a pilot project for all aspects of the business, you know, understanding the technology, uh, understanding where the technology is going, understanding the, uh, you know, the providers, particularly the WISP, and then how they would, you know, how how they would be integrated into something in the future, and then also um, the testing of the, you know, the network um, structure itself in terms of how to, you know, take it out of the lab, as it were, into, you know, broader application. Yes. Yeah, as a matter of fact, um uh, that that's exactly what it is. Um and uh you know there ha has been quite a uh, a lot of uh trial and testing activity that's already um taken place. Um and and Michael's been involved in in some of those um activities in the US. Um so it's less about I think the technology. Uh it's more about let's get this in the ground, get people using um the capabilities and taking advantage of some of the applications uh, that white spaces can support and uh, and figuring out what's the best way to integrate it into a, a community. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, your, your, your readers might, or your listeners, I should say, might, yeah, they may be interested to know that, um, that actually there have been quite a few trials already uh, using TV white space networks. So these trial deployments um, have typically been around, you know, to test different applications. So th these started back in 2008. There was a rural broadband deployment in Quadville, Virginia, which was a, um, you know, down in southern, uh, very southern Virginia, uh, kind of a mountainous area where the town had no uh, broadband and white space was used, um, you know, as essentially as wireless backhaul to bring it in and then distribute it around. Uh, between public buildings there. There was a smart grid deployment uh, in the Puma Sierras uh, mountains in uh, our area in California by a rural electric co-op, and a smart city deployment in Wilmington, North Carolina, which actually was the first um, licensed uh, or, or authorized official um, deployment of white space that started this January. It's by the uh, the city and public safety entities in Wilmington, and they use it for uh, a whole range of different city services like um, w water quality monitoring, water level monitoring, uh, controlling, uh, turning on and off uh, lights and controlling parking lots and video monitoring uh, and so on. And there's been a few other uh, tech technology trials as well, including a large one in Cambridge, England, that ended in April that involved 14 companies including Microsoft and the BBC, um, that, that demonstrated lots of, uh, you know, potential applications. So, so the technology is completely there. Uh, we've just been waiting for the FCC to finish the rules and now for, uh, you know, finally for equipment makers to believe there's enough certainty that they can go to production. Mm -hmm. And I should point out that uh, next Monday, uh, some folks from Wilmington will be on our show to talk about their project specifically. And I believe there's a um, a conference next uh, a week from Wednesday, so that'd be the 11th of July, out here in California at Stanford, dealing with white space. So it seems like we have hit a point where uh, there's a lot of activity going on. And uh, and some attention being paid to this uh, to this Wi-Fi, the, the super Wi-Fi technology, which I think is a good thing. Which brings me to a, to, to I guess what is a philosophical discussion. Uh, in some places, it's more like a religious discussion, which is the whole role of wireless versus fiber, right? And you have the purest on both sides, 
and it gets a little crazy some days. You know, I feel like there there are times I'm just, I'm watching a a uh, you know a hot tennis match here between the two sides as they go back and forth. In reality, though, isn't this more of you know we're we're dealing with complementary uh, activity as opposed to you know, wireless is going to, you know, take us to the promised land or, you know, if you don't have fiber, you're dead in the water. It's just a matter of time philosophy. I mean, those seem to be the two extremes. And, you know, I'm kind of one of those centrist type people saying, well, it's both in some varying degree. Correct? Uh, I don't know. Michael, do you want do you want to answer that one or? Well, yeah, I mean, I, sure, I, I can, yeah. I mean, it, it, it's definitely both um, mm-hmm. for a couple of different reasons. W- one is uh, that, um, is that, and it's interesting because they're, they're kind of flip sides of a contrary coin, right? W- one is that although, you know, you may never, uh, wireless broadband may never achieve the um, the effective throughputs that you could have with uh, fiber uh, if you have direct, you know, if you have fiber to the home and you have a gigabit of connectivity, uh, you'll probably, you know, you should be able to do some, you know, for example, uh, interactive uh, HD video conferencing with multiple parties without a hiccup and, uh, and and probably health clinics and so on will need that for you know, for remote surgery or <laughs> or things like that. Um, so, so, so that, that's terrific. Except that most most people at most times don't want to be, you know, tethered to a to a wire. They want to be mobile. They want to be able to do everything anytime, anywhere. And you only get that with mobility, uh, with wireless. Uh, not to mention that there's, you know, when you get outside the major cities or dense suburbs. Uh, to the exurbs, to the small towns and rural areas, you're not going to be stringing, you know, that fiber uh, everywhere anytime soon. So, 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 so high high capacity wireless is complementary, but then it's it's complementary in the other direction, which is really, you know, I, I like to say that the future of of wireless is fixed, meaning that is that um, the more you extend fiber out into um, you know, further out into the communities, and the more dense the the wireline deployments are, the more wireless offload you can have, and so the faster your wireless networks are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, already we're seeing, for example, you know, Wi-Fi offload saved AT&T's bacon on the iPhone because they're offloading th- at least 30 to 40 percent of iPhone traffic uh, and probably 90 percent of of uh, of the tablet traffic, you know, for uh, uh, for iPads is going over Wi-Fi. And so you'll see that more and more. When we have fiber uh, all over the place, that will that will allow the wireless networks to have high capacity uh, and high speeds in more places, and so that will enhance uh, wireless as well. And, and that really makes these this pairing of ambitions between, for example, GigU with university communities going, you know, going uh, fiber uh, and uh, combining that with with, uh, wireless that can plug into that. Uh, You know, when both are available together, these are going to be the uh, the world-class world-class connectivity locations in, you know, uh, in the country. Mm-hmm. And and one of my uh, one of the our guests here on uh, not guests I'm sorry one of our one of the audience members in the uh, chat room can can uh, concurs with that you know it's basically um, we got to figure out how to work these together because they have offsetting benefits but they're complementary benefits and um, and we just, and, and understanding that makes a lot of uh makes a lot of sense. Now another question that's come up here uh in the chat room um has to do with security. I think that there is a knee jerk reaction in certain circles that oh my god we have wireless now we're less secure. Now we're open to being hacked. Now woe is us and you know and people get really um sketchy about oh you know the the use of wireless. Where does um super Wi Fi you know fit in that security 
realm? Is it more? Is it less secure? You know, I mean, because I will just say that my basic contention is that wireless can be as secure as it needs to be if you design your network the right way, whether, whether you're using fixed wireless or uh, Wi-Fi or what have you. But that's just me. I mean, from from your perspective, is there a difference in security um, inherent in in uh, in super Wi-Fi? Um, so this is Bob, and I my I would say no. Um, you know, the all we're talking about here is a different set of frequencies. Um, mm-hmm. There is there no more or less uh, inherently secure than than any other frequencies, whether they're licensed or, or unlicensed. Um, so uh, the the answer is 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 very close to what you said. Um, the same security that uh, we can apply to a 4G network or a Wi-Fi network today will be able to apply to um, a super Wi-Fi network. Um, and to the extent that's insufficient, uh, there will be other applications that will um, be made available, is my guess. Mm-hmm. Um, to enhance the security to the extent it's required. So, so basically, yeah, yeah I think I think we're in the same accord. Go ahead, sorry. And I, I would just add, this is Michael. I would just add to be contrarian that, in some respects, what we need is less security. Um, <laughs> in 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 one way, which I think we'll be seeing soon, um, uh, as a business model, and and that is that when you have as you increase the access to shared public spectrum, that is unlicensed spectrum, uh, by adding TV white space, hopefully we'll be adding soon other bands, as the President's Council of Advisors in Science Technology uh, just recommended, opening hundreds more megahertz for this shared um, local area access. As you do that, you open and you get more uh, fiber out there you create the the ability of um of folks to um if if wireless networks are more open to you know to hop on and off so for example if you know if if you would share your wireless access point where you live I'll share it where I live if you have more that are open and they can be separated into two different um compartments so to say so in other words you could have your own your own information your own side of the network encrypted uh, and protected, but if you leave part of it open for others, and if enough people do that, uh, or or if, uh, for example, when Google deploys its fiber in Kansas City, if that's a, a built-in feature, uh, that there's open wireless connectivity uh, for Wi-Fi offload, then you'll get ubiquitous high-capacity uh, network offload. And, and that'll really make wireless more powerful. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about for a minute. Uh, see, we got about ten minutes or so left in the show. Let's talk a little bit about applications. You know, we 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 got this now new ability to put wireless in more places. You know, a lot has been made in the last uh, couple of weeks about. Uh, some of the applications, you know, you got the U.S. Ignite program that's been, you know, pushing the applications uh, theme. What kinds of applications do you see coming out of the Air.U test beds? Well, uh, the primary application is uh, high-speed wireless access to the internet, um, and I mean it's it's that's pretty straightforward. I think today we're seeing that um, uh, tablet. Uh, uh, data usage, uh, 90 plus percent of that traffic is going over Wi-Fi networks, and what are they doing? They're 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 accessing email, they're accessing YouTube, they're accessing uh, a whole host of applications um, that are now being um, provided uh, through the cloud um, to those devices. Uh, so that's the primary device uh, or application rather that I see, and whether it's uh, in a campus-wide um, Wi-Fi access or residential access, um, you know, those are that's that's the the primary application. Um, some of the other, uh, I think, more uh, interesting applications potentially are the machine-to-machine type applications that you see in um, uh, in what you'll be hearing about, I guess, next week from 
uh, Wilmington, North Carolina, is uh, the, the smart meter uh, reading, um, the remote uh, monitoring of uh, facilities, uh, keyless entry, um, parking meter uh, validation uh, activity, um, where where the internet um, today is serving uh, a tremendous amount of uh, application traffic to consumers, there are um, you know a, an order of magnitude um, more machine devices that are potentially going to be internet enabled um, over the coming years, and um, it's it's amazing to think about how. Um, some of our lives will change um, based on you know uh, you know me sitting in the office and you know uh, turning on uh, the 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 thermostat uh, because I'll be home in a half an hour uh, a couple of degrees up uh, or a couple of degrees down whatever the case may be um, and even turning on perhaps maybe the roast that I put in there before I left uh, to go. Um, uh, to the office so that it's 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 cooked and ready for me when I get home. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of lot of those Jetson type uh, applications that are being contemplated by the machine to machine folks uh, that are looking at this white spaces pretty closely. Mm-hmm. So I think that would be a a huge um, I don't know I call it a huge growth area from the application perspective. Uh, just because if you use wireless, I think it's easy and, and affordable just because there, there's so many Wi-Fi devices and technology is such a point where you can build Wi-Fi in almost anything. Um, and right. and if, I, if people think that I may be exaggerating, there was a couple of tw- uh, Twitter messages floating across the universe this morning about putting some sort of Wi-Fi technology in the cockroaches, which, like, you know, that's just <laughs> gross. <laughs> On the flip side, on the flip side, you know, there is probably some evil scientist genius somewhere sitting there figuring out, you know, if you can put, you know, Wi-Fi technology and miniaturize it to that point, you know, it can take over the world or some such crazy. I don't know, but I, but I, you know, what what, what was interesting more so than the practicality of that, which I'd like to, does indeed gross me out, is the idea that you can make the stuff so cheaply and so small now that you can start to imagine, you know, just a whole, you know, plethora of of applications as a result of that. Mm-hmm. In my humble opinion. <laughs> <laughs> right. So right. I uh, I just don't know. So we should probably talk a little bit about um, how do people get on board with these uh, programs? I mean, potentially, you know, you've got a potential universe of some 500 universities, colleges, and and probably more than that. Uh, how do people get on board? How do they make the stuff happen in their neighborhood? Um, you know, so that, that's a great question. You know, and uh, I think earlier uh, you had asked that, uh, or, or made the statement that this uh, program came together relatively quickly, and, and that's true. Um, there are many more um, uh, college associations and, and rural universities. Um, that aren't included in the Air.U uh, program today. And we're continuing to um, solicit interest uh, in joining uh, the Air.U program. Uh, this isn't by no means uh, closed at this point. Uh, so we're, we're making contacts um, on a daily basis now that the announcement's out uh, for, for even more membership and uh, taking advantage of the program. Unfortunately, I think... Uh, uh, the initial six or so pilots that we're looking to put in place today, right now, uh, in the first quarter of next year, uh, is probably about as much as we can handle. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, as we further develop the ecosystem and as the equipment manufacturers gain more confidence that the market is there, I think um, next year is going to be a big year. Good, good, good. Now, is there a website, or how do people get in touch with you? Uh, well, Michael, you want to take the, uh, it, You know, th- th- there's basically a uh, a page with um, the information from, you know, the press release and, and frequency asked questions and so on on New America Foundation's website. 
Mm-hmm. So if you go, you know, to newamerica.net and look at either the um, the Wireless Future Project or the Open Technology Institute, um, you can find information about it. But but probably the best way is simply to email one of us, and and I am, uh, you know, Calabrese at newamerica.net. So C A L A B is in boy R E S E at newamerica. Dot net. Right, and I'm Nichols N I C H O L S six zero four four at gmail dot com. All righty. What I'll do is I'll go back and put this in the um, on the page for the for the website and uh, make sure that anything that I write up on this also has um, has this information and, um, it would be good. I mean, I think people need to get engaged. There's lots of people saying we need broadband, we need, you know, high speed access and we don't have it. You know, it's a, it's a key component. And I think the, um, you know, wireless swings back and forth in, in the media, it seems like, you know, one week it's like all over the media, you know, the, the president's behind it, so forth and so on. Then it's all about the fiber for another couple of weeks. And, you know, kind of we get this chain, you know, this this, uh, this roller coaster thing going on, but it seems like wireless needs to be a steady part of the discussion and so people need to, you know, tap into this, find out about it, you know, not just sort of be sit back and go, well, you know, I heard that, that wireless doesn't work very well or Wi-Fi is inefficient and so forth and so on. It sounds like you guys are on a mission to put, um, you know, wireless really on, uh, on par with with fiber as as you know a technology to be considered to be deployed it's all about you know do i use one or the other or both or you know some hybrid uh, you know something yet to be uh developed it's not you know it's not just a, a you know one or the other kind of thing which i see as one of the big values of air.u is preaching that gospel so, um, mm-hmm. in conclusion, you know, we're, we're, we're about to, to wrap up here. Do you have any um, last words or advice for, you know, communities that, uh, you know, want to take advantage of this? I mean, aside from getting in touch with you guys, obviously, to find more information, but, you know, in, in uh, two minutes or less, is, is there, you know, some last parting words here to our to our audience? Well, uh, if you don't mind, uh, Michael, I'll just say something real brief. Uh, you know, certainly do reach out to both Michael and myself if you have interest in the program directly. Um, as I said, it's uh, still open, uh, and we're interested in, in getting more folks interested than not. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's going to be a participatory uh, activity. So I think uh, Blair Levin, in, in the uh, opening remarks of our, our press call last week, actually made the statement, this is uh, an activity where, you know, all boats will be raised. Um, so more bandwidth, whether it comes from fiber or, or from some wireless technology like white spaces, I think is just in general good for uh, any community um, because we see, you know, tremendous application and, and economic growth that's being driven by that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I would Michael, just think, yeah, I would just encourage everyone to, uh, you know, who's in this, who's engaged in this world, uh, particularly, you know, in one way or another, whether they would be, you know, an educator at an institution, a WISP, um, or others, to to really, you know, think about how to um, leverage these assets. And and I think the the shared public spectrum, uh, particularly these TV white spaces now, uh, in in underserved areas are a great asset to start uh, start to leverage and figure out how to do that. It's not just through you know this one idea or program, but there's many other ways you know that it can be done. Mm-hmm. Well, great. This has been a good uh, you know good starting discussion. I hope to get back to this topic in the uh, in the future. I'll obviously be following you guys um, as this goes along and, and writing about it occasionally in the various uh, places where I write. Um, but definitely thank you for being here this morning to give people an insight to what you know air.u is all about and and how they can participate in this so you know again thank you very much both of you for being here thank you Craig. Uh, thank you Craig
And I want to thank our audience for listening to another episode. Uh, I hope to see you next week. Next week is going to be heavy into the wireless discussion. Like I said, we've got uh, Wilmington, uh, North Carolina is going to come in and talk about their project specifically. Uh, so you definitely want to check that one out. And uh, thanks to our sponsor, Hiawatha Broadband Communications, for their continued support. Everybody have a great day. See you uh, next show.